Hello everyone and welcome back. It's the BMW Blog Podcast. Um, we have an interesting show for you today because uh, we're under quarantine for real now. I mean, it's getting pretty crazy. Everyone has been ordered, you know, across most of the United States. Some states aren't as affected uh, as others, but in most states in the U.S., uh, we're really not supposed to be going into any public places, any stores here in New Jersey. You're not even allowed in any store at all unless you have masks on um, at all times. Some of them even require gloves. And food stores are only allowing certain people in, uh, you know, one at a time. You know, only a handful of shoppers are allowed in the store at once. Uh, there's markings f uh, for lines where people have to be six feet apart. So it's getting pretty crazy. Um, it's, it feels kind of weird and like dystopian in a strange way. But yeah, so we're kind of under quarantine and, um, you know, thankfully we aren't as affected by it as others because, you know, we we have the ability to work from home. We have the ability to work remotely pretty much anywhere in the world. And, you know, so long as we have an internet connection. Um, but a lot of people, it's been really hard on a lot of people. So uh, we're hoping that our little podcast can be, you know, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it is, uh, of a distraction for anyone who needs it. Um, hopefully, you know, I know this isn't helping me talking about this, but, uh, you know, I swear I'll get to some car stuff in a minute. But, um, you know, I hope we can be that distraction. I hope you can read our site, uh, watch our videos, stuff like that, our social media channels. And I hope that we can be a distraction, give you something to read, give you something to think about, give you something to listen to, watch, do, anything really. Just to take your mind off of, you know, all the craziness that's going around the world, you know. So today we have an interesting episode for you. Um, we're going to talk about some of the thing. One thing we talked about earlier in the week, which was uh, rankings of the BMW M5. So I actually, earlier in the week, we I wrote an article, uh, Harashi and I ranked the the M5s throughout the years. So each generation of M5s, where they, where they rank from best to worst. And they got some interesting comments. There were some people that really... Um, didn't agree with our list, and some people that did, and then some people who kind of were like, okay, I get I get why you put that, but here's my list. And you know, it was an interesting discussion, so I want to talk about that a little bit. I also want to talk about the 8 Series not selling, because that's been a pretty interesting topic over the past couple of weeks. Um, BMW 8 Series are just not selling at all. They're just sitting on dealer lots, um, and that was before quarantine, so it's not looking good for the 8 Series. So I want to talk to you about that. Um, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about things you can do to your car during quarantine. I know I'm trying to distract you guys from it, and I keep bringing up <laughs> the coronavirus quarantine, but um, I know that's, that's kind of counterproductive. But it is a good time to discuss that, that sort of thing, because a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands now and are kind of looking for things to do. So uh, we'll talk to you a little bit about things you can do to your car uh, you know, while you're sort of stuck at home. So first, I want to talk to you about. Let's do the. Let's jump in with the M5. So let's talk about the M5 rankings. Um, throughout the generations, there have been some really, really incredible cars. The M5 um, is always perennially one of the greatest cars on sale because few cars can offer its blend of speed, handling, performance, you know, comfort, livability. It's just an incredible all-around daily driver, and there are very few cars that can, you know mimic that who can or that can you know kind of i don't want to say replace the m5 but that can do what it can do because it's a pretty special car and there have been several generations of it each one uh quite different that's that's the nice thing about the m5 is that they've 
it's kept this the same sort of basic idea that it's a fast high performance car that can also be used every day but each of them has its own distinct you know character to it each each m5 is unique in its own way and i think that that's really important um i think each one is special in its own way and that's really cool because it, the great thing about that is it causes um a lot of fans for different generations you know there are a lot of people that are, feel very strongly about one generation being the best and there's a lot of different opinions and that's really interesting to see um i don't know of many other cars that are like that uh, maybe the porsche 911 uh, has a fan base similar to that i don't know of many other cars in history that are that are like that so um the the rankings that i put them in uh horatio had some input and i had some input but the the, the final i had the final decision on that and uh, I put the E28 M5 as the best of all time, and that's the first M5. And that didn't so much ruffle feathers, but a lot of people disagreed with it being number one. And the reason I put it number one is because it's the best combination, to me at least, in my opinion. And granted, uh, I have yet to actually drive one. Let me just say that. I know that that's insane, and I know it's ridiculous to put it number one without having driven it. But I think there's one factor that puts it uh, at the top that kind of I don't kind of allows me to not have driven one to put it at the top and that is the fact that it is the original and it has a history like no other so it is the only M5 to have a proper engine derived from a racing engine um, all the rest have road car engines except I guess the E34 technically because it's the, its engine sort of derived off of the E28's engine but the E28 engine is a, a modified version of the one that was in the BMW M1. So it has a proper motorsport history. Because um, that engine was designed for racing by Paul Rocha. So that's a proper uh, motorsport engine. So the, the M5's engine is a derivative of that. So it has a proper motorsport pedigree. It also has, you know, some pretty a pretty great history. It wasn't originally going to be, to be made, but BMW had an excess of these M1 engines and no one was buying the M1, so they needed to kind of do something to recoup the, the money lost on the uh, the M1 engine, developing that engine. So some crazy engineers decided to stick it in a sedan. It would fit, so they figured they'd give it a shot, and what they came up with was brilliant. So they gave it, you know, better brakes, better suspension, you know, better handling and stuff like that, and what they came up with was a legend. And the M5, while it, the H28 did not invent the super sedan, I want to make that very clear. There were super sedans prior to that car. Um, but the M5 made it what it is today. The M5 defined the super sedan. And it's, it's every other super sedan since has been trying to copy the M5. You know, the original Ma uh, Maserati Quattroporte uh, was earlier was ahead of the m5 that was a super sedan i think alfa romeo had a, a the hot julia um th there were a few super sedans ahead of its time or ahead of the e28 m5's time but it was the e28 m5 that really defined the segment that we know today as a super sedan segment um so that to me i think just elevates it above everything else it, its importance it's you know it's prestige and also i think it's the best looking of the bunch um and I, I was in one recently i didn't get to drive it but i was in one at bmw's um they had like a little car show for e30 m3 as part of um uh, the, the bmw cca and they had one on their lawn at bmw north america up in uh, woodcliffe lake new jersey and i was able to sit in it and like i, I mean no one was around so i could take my sweet ass time and just kind of 
look around it, but what an amazing car to just sit in and be around. It's just so small and delicate. Like back in the 80s when it came out, it was a big car. It was considered you know, a big car. And now you look at it and it's so small and delicate and you get inside and it's kind of intimate. Like if there was a passenger next to me, it would have felt really like close, you know, um, but what a wonderful car to sit. It just kind of feels like it just feels special. You know, uh, it's hand, it was hand assembled. It was a hand built car. Um, it was one of the only two M5s to ever be hand built. The E34 being the last hand built BMW, E34 M5 that is. So there's a lot of specialness to it, you know, and the 3.5 liter engine is magnificent, you know, straight six, naturally aspirated, wonderful engine, 282 horsepower in European spec. I think it had a little bit less North American spec. I don't remember the, the exact number off the top of my head. Um, only a five speed manual gearbox. And I remember, uh, I was playing with it in, you know, just sitting, you know, stationary. I was playing with it at, uh, Woodcliffe Lake and the gear throws are so long like the clutch pedal is kind of heavy you know it feels very old school and there's just something lovely about it it's very tactile it's very analog it's very it requires you to be deliberate it requires you to take your time you can just sense that from all the control weights you don't even have to drive it you can just tell you know the the seating position is perfect the, vi the view out is excellent um so that's why i put it at number one because of its specialness and i think it deserves that because of its specialness i think it it created what we know as a super sedan so it deserved that number one spot after that i put the e39 m5 now the e39 is probably without question the best driving m5 of all time you know and, and it does have some prestige of its own as well uh it was just such a beloved car it broke the cannonball record um by alex roy he drove it across the country and broke the record across the u.s in the e39 m5 it was in that famous commercial, or technically it was a BMW short film uh, called Star with uh, Clive Owen and Madonna. Uh, and it was directed by Guy Ritchie, and it was it was awesome. It was just, and if you haven't seen it, go watch, go YouTube right now, uh, BMW, or Ether 9 BMW M5 Star, and you'll find it with uh, Madonna and Clive Owen. And it's a great, great little short film. Uh, features some really great driving, and it's really funny, and it's got typical Guy Ritchie humor. Um, it's really, it was, it was Guy Ritchie at the top of his game too, you know, in the like early 2000s era. So, uh, great, great little short film. So that kind of gave it some prestige and some, uh, some real, a uh, real enthusiast following, but also it was just incredible to drive. And it was the first V8 M5, you know, that, that it was 4.9 liters, but you know, it's kind of five liters basically, right? That's uh, BMW blog maths that goes up to five liters in our book, but it's a big naturally aspirated V8. You know, a six-speed manual gearbox, rear-wheel drive. It looks fantastic. It's got a great interior. Um, just a wonderful, wonderful car. And that has to be, it's pretty much unanimously considered the best driving M5 of all time. So it has to be put at number two because, you know, the only thing keeping it from being number one is the the history and the importance of the E28 M5 um, is the only, and I, I think to me personally, the E28's looks are just dynamite. But, um... So the E39 is probably realistically, you know, objectively speaking, the best M5, you know, because it's it, just the way it drives and the way it handles is still magnificent even today. Sports sedans could learn lessons from it even today. Um, now, my next ranking was, I think, the one that ruffled the most feathers. And that's third for third place, I had the F90 M5, the current one. And I think that there were a lot of fans that were pretty pissed that I put that one ahead of some other M5s in history. Um, but it, I, I really do think it's it's up there among the best 
ever made. And the reason for that is it's just so effing good to drive. It really is. I mean, yes, it, it lacks the purity and the communication of cars like the E39 or even the E60 M5, but there's just this unbelievable breadth of ability. There's nothing it can't do extremely well. Like, there are cars that are, you know, kind of jack-of-all-trades cars, and those sorts of cars, they're, they're pretty good at everything, but they're inherently compromised because they can't be excellent at one thing. You know, to be good at everything, they can't stand out in one particular area. But it seems like when you drive the M5, it stands out in so many areas that it's excellent in so many ways. It's like a master of all trades. It's, it's remarkable. And yes, you lose some tactility, you, some, you lose some of that communication that its predecessors had. However, I think that it's sort of worth the trade-off because you get so much car. It is unbelievably, brutally, spine-shatteringly fast. I mean, you know, it, it, BMW claims it has 600 horsepower and 553 pound-feet, you know, twin-turbo V8, and... You know, it probably has a lot more than that in real life, but who cares? It doesn't matter. It can hit 60. In the right conditions, it can hit 60 in under three seconds. It's a more than two-ton sedan with five seats, tons of leather, all the comfort you could possibly imagine in a modern luxury car, and it can nail 60 at the same speed as like a Ferrari 488. That's ridiculous. And not only does it do that, but it can handle well. It's, it's sharp. It's dynamic. It's fun to drive. And... The F90 gets a lot of flack because it's all-wheel drive. It comes with an all-wheel drive system. And, you know, that, that sort of ruffles a lot of BMW fans' feathers because the M5, actually every BMW has traditionally been, or performance BMW uh, at, that, at that, has traditionally been rear-wheel drive. So the switch to all-wheel drive bothered a lot of people. Um, but I think BMW's execution of it is shockingly excellent. Um... It's mostly rear bias, so you're getting, you're still getting most of the power to the rear wheels under all circumstances unless it absolutely needs to send more power to the front for traction or, you know, whatever, bad weather, you start to slip, it's going to send some traction to the front to save you. But most of the time, it's like primarily rear-wheel drive. And that is important because it feels like a rear-wheel drive car. You know, it rotates around corners nicely, even under normal conditions, even just driving normally. It just has that natural BMW rotation to it. You know, it's fun to drive, it's fluid, it's dynamic, it's it's incredible. Also, that all-wheel drive system, or yeah, that all-wheel drive system can be switched off to rear-wheel drive, just two-wheel drive it's called, and um, the two-wheel drive mode, unfortunately you can only do that by switching all the systems off, so traction control and stability control have to be switched all the way off, um, which is terrifying in a 600 horsepower sedan. So I wouldn't recommend that on public roads, but it is there as an option, and that's really cool. But the great thing about that all-wheel drive system is it allows BMW to put the power down. So 600 horsepower is a lot. That is a lot of power. And it allows the M5 to put it all to the ground. So you get that ridiculous, insane performance. I mean, it really like warps your mind how fast it is in a straight line. Especially in competition spec, because it's like a little bit raw. You know, you can, you can kind of feel more through it. BMW like recalibrated some of the elasto kinematics or whatever it's called. And you can kind of feel a little bit more, so the sensation of speed is a little bit greater. Um, but not by much, honestly. Uh, but still, it, it's still amplified a little bit. And it's just such an incredibly fast car, and it's so much fun. And then it, when you want to switch everything to super calm and, and comfy, you, it can just be your, your average luxury sedan, and it's great. I remember in my review of it, I remember uh, specifically, um, I was shooting 
some video with it and I was blasting down some twisty roads and I was having a blast and it was just, it was, I was driving it as hard as I could, which isn't anywhere near as hard as the car can go, but I was driving it almost as hard as I could go on public roads or uh, let me say as hard as is safe on public roads. And I was having so much fun. And then once I was done shooting and I was done with that, I switched everything into comfort, called a restaurant and made a reservation for a restaurant for dinner for just my wife and I all through, and I searched for the restaurant through the tech in the car while comfortably cruising around, called via Bluetooth, made the reservation. You know, I was in a, the crazy thing is like you can Google through the car. You just say, you know, find this restaurant and it finds it, you know, using service, using data. And then it comes up with the restaurant, the phone number, you just click call and it calls, you get a Yelp review. You know, it's crazy. And I made the reservation and then I took my wife out to dinner in, you know, in perfect comfort. And the, there are so few cars that can do that, you know, that have unbelievable performance, unbelievable comfort, and unbelievable tech. There's just nothing it's bad at. So it has to be number three in my book. It really has to be up there with the best of all time. I don't care that it's not the purest. I don't care that it's all-wheel drive. I don't care about any of that. What it can do is astonishing, and it deserves a high ranking, in my opinion. After that, I um, in fourth place, I put the E34 M5. And at this point, it really came down to... Um, and I don't want to say which one was the worst because that's a that's not fair to say because every M5 is amazing. But I, it just really came down to okay, where do which one has the most flaws at this point? It wasn't really like which ones are bad or which ones don't deserve to be you know loved because they're all great in their own way and they're all special in their own way. And I sound like I'm talking about my kids, but um, it really just came down to which car has the most flaws. And I thought that the E34 had the fewest flaws of the three, the three that are left. And the E34 is an interesting car. So it's probably the worst looking. Actually, that and, or the E60 are the worst looking of the bunch. Um, but it's not a bad looking car. It's just boring. You know, it's just a boring looking car. But it's not bad looking. And I really like it in touring spec, which is really awesome that that even exists. Because it's, you know, very few. There's only two uh, M5 wagons in history, the E34 being one of them. So that's awesome. And that's another reason why it was higher than the other two left on the list because, you know, the wagon gives it some pretty cool street cred. But also, you know, it has a version of that E20 M5 engine and it's a brilliant straight six like it should be. Um, naturally aspirated, you know, individual throttle bodies, great, great engine. Um, and it was the last hand-built M5. It was the last hand-built BMW of any kind. And that's something special. So it is a little bit more special, I think, than the other two. Um, there's more about it that I think it has more character than the other two in everything. It's design, it's, you know, the way it drives. It's just, it's just a more interesting car. Personally, I've never really liked the E34 5 Series, but it's been growing on me as I've gotten older. Um, so the MD34 M5 is, is growing on me a lot, but I still think it deserves, it doesn't deserve to be any higher than fourth place because I really don't think it's a better car than any of the other three that I previously mentioned. Um, I don't think it can actually be better than, be considered better than those because, you know, it's just, it was a little bit heavier than the E28 M5. I mean, yes, it was technically a little bit faster after the refresh when its engine got a little bit bigger. Uh, I think it bumped up to from 3.6 liters to 3.8 liters. Um, and so it got a little bit faster, but it just, it never really had that tactility of the E28 M5. And it was kind of, you know, it was worse than both the car that, 
preceded it and succeeded it. So the E28 was better than it to drive, and the E39 was better than it to drive. So while it's an interesting car, and it is does have a lot of character, and it's pretty cool, it's good looking in wagon spec, um, you know, I think fourth place is right for it. You know, it's just, it didn't really light anyone's hair on fire like the car that it replaced, nor the car that replaced it. So um, I think fourth is a good spot for that. After that, I put the E60 M5, and that really bothered a lot of people because the E60 M5 has a real strong cult following. Um, and it's a good car, the E60 M5. It really is. But it has probably the most flaws of any M5. Um, it's standout. The reason why people love it so much is its engine, and it's a sensational engine. Honestly, one of the greatest engines ever made of any kind of car from any manufacturer. It's a 5-liter naturally aspirated V10, revs past 8,000 RPM, 500 horsepower, makes the most incredible noise. Sounds like a Formula One car at, you know, at full chat. It's a crazy engine. Magnificent masterpiece of an engine. Problem with it is it grenades itself after like 50,000 miles. So if you don't get the if you don't take care of it, the rod bearings could go and then, you know, you have a really 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 big problem, very expensive problem on your hands. And, you know, that unreliability kind of tarnishes the engine's magnificent, you know, capabilities. So that that kind of hurts its reputation a little bit. And then there's the fact that it's not the best looking M5. I know a lot of fans really, really like it. And admittedly, it is getting better with age. Bangles design is getting better uh, as it gets older. But it still isn't a great looking car. It's 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 definitely not as good looking as any of the cars that are on the list prior to it. I actually think it's the worst looking of the M5 personally. But um, you know, there's just not as much character in its design. It's kind of like kind of like a bar of soap in the front, and then at the back it has like a weird you know ironing board butt. It's not that great looking. Um, inside it's a handsome interior, but the tech is convoluted and confusing. And granted, kudos to BMW for introducing. Um, you know, MMI infotainment systems for cars because before, you know, the before BMW introduced iDrive, there was really none of that sort of thing. So, you know, all infotainment systems owe themselves to I, the original iDrive, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the original iDrive was horrible to use then and is, and is even worse to use now uh, after seeing much better systems. It was a mess. It was an electronic nightmare. Um, it was difficult to use. It was confusing. It had a lot of issues. It was just complete pain in the ass. Uh, my mom actually, ironically, has an E60 M, uh, not an M5, but an E65 series, and I just hate driving it because I don't want to use the iDrive. It's a just absolute awful thing to use. I hate it so much. <laughs> it's just such a pain in the ass. Um, but you know, aside from that, the interior was pretty good. Um, you know, materials are nice, stuff like that. But it just doesn't really light your hair on fire. So. While the E60 M5 has a lot of interesting things about it, like the engine's magnificent, it does handle remarkably well, and it did come as a wagon, so that's really cool too. But it just its reputation is tarnished, tarnished, excuse me, tarnished by its uh, its poor reputation for reliability, and you know its confusing, confusing iDrive system, and you know just electronic unreliability, really. You know, because there were a lot of electronic gremlins and little issues uh, with E60 M5s as well. So it was it's probably the most flawed M5 of all time. So that's why I think it deserves to be, you know, fifth on the list. It's not the worst of all time, though. And granted, the worst M5 is still better than like 90% of sedans ever made. So let's just 
let's. This is the worst of an incredible group. It's like the worst of the best. So as I say, worst, but it's not. You know, I'm not saying these cars are bad cars. Um, but the last on the list has to be the F10. So the F10 Generation M5 is the one that replaced the E60. Um, that came about in 2011, and it was a really interesting car. It was the first turbocharged M5, which really ruffled some feathers because you know M cars have to be naturally aspirated and all that jazz. But performance-wise, it was sensational. It was an incredibly fast car, um, very capable, very very capable car. You can drift that thing until your tires explode. Uh, I, I've watched Matt Mullins from you know BMW's performance driving series, one of BMW's drivers. I've watched him tear tires to pieces in an M5, or F10 M5. It's an incredible, uh, incredibly capable car. The problem with the M5 is the F10 M5. Excuse me, is it? That's kind of boring. It's not really that. It's not really that enjoyable of a car to drive. Um, you know, it's very fast, but its steering is kind of gluey, and it, you know, it's just kind of, you know, it's just not that exciting. It doesn't look all that special. Its interior is kind of bland. Um, you know, it just doesn't. It feels the least special, and to me, that is the biggest flaw of an M5 because an M5 is supposed to feel special. It's supposed to feel like no one else can do this. You know, that's what it's supposed to feel like. It's supposed to feel like no other car manufacturer can make this. When you get it, when you drive an M5, you have to think, this is the only place I can get this experience is from right here in my driver's seat. And the M5 didn't provide that. In fact, the Mercedes-AMG E63, or I think at the time it was Mercedes-Benz uh, E63 AMG, how it was uh, named at the time, that was the more fun, more exciting, more hooligan car. That was the car that kind of felt more like an M5 than the M5 did at the time. So, you know, actually, the F10 M5, don't say this to some BMW enthusiasts because they might kill me, but kind of felt like an Audi. It felt like a big Audi. It kind of felt like a big RS6, you know, something that's really, really fast, but kind of sedate in every other way. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest sin for any M5 is just being kind of boring. You know, the E60 with all of its mechanical flaws and all you know, its funky styling, you know, its polarizing styling was crazy to drive you know that v10 is uh, you know sensational so it has so much character despite you know it's the character that overcomes its flaws whereas the f10's flaw is that it doesn't have any character and it's actually not that flawed of a car to be honest it's not really unreliable you know it's not you know it's a good handling car it looks fine i guess um you know there's really nothing bad about the way it looks it's just kind of boring um, its infotainment system is great. It's like it's you know it's comfortable. It's 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 a good car objectively. It's just not one that you really desire, and I think that's the the, the biggest problem with it. It doesn't have that desirability factor, and it doesn't have that specialness, that M5 specialness. I think that's so that's its biggest problem. So th that's my ranking of the M5s, and I think that um, it was an interesting discussion. I was interested to see where people did rank the M5s. There was a lot of E60s high on the list, which I get. That V10 is really hard to ignore. Um, I'm not saying anyone's wrong for wanting to think the E60 is best. This is just our ranking. A lot of it came down to my personal opinion. You know, I was given kind of free reign to choose um, uh, during this article, but you know, it was interesting to see where people ranked. Uh, other M5s and how many people thought I was an idiot. <laughs> um, that was fun too. But uh, so those, that's my ranking. I, I stick I stick by it. You know, I'm standing by my rankings. I think that they're good. I think that they're justified. You know, I put a lot of thought into it too. I really, I really debated about which cars deserve to be, you know, where on the list, like where they are on the list. So 
Uh, I think E28's the best. I think the F10's the worst. And, you know, the rest in between you've already heard. So uh, that's my ranking. So we'll move on from that. Next, I want to talk about the 8 Series. Because the 8 Series is a really interesting car. Because it's a very good car, to be honest with you. It really is a great car. There's just one really big problem with it. And it's that it's way, way overpriced. And because of that, no one is buying it. Literally, like no one's buying it. They're just stocking up on dealer lots collecting dust. And that was before the quarantine came down and locked everyone out of uh, dealerships and in their homes. Um, really, no one wants to buy the 8 Series. And it really comes down to its price. I actually spoke to a friend of ours who works, I won't say his name or where he works, but he works at a major metropolitan BMW dealership. And he told me that the reason that the 8 Series isn't selling is flat out because of its price and its styling. Um, now, styling, I think, I think it's a good-looking car, but a lot of people don't love it. I've heard some people say that it looks like the new Mustang, which, I don't know, I think is actually a compliment. The new Mustang is great-looking. Um, but I don't know if it does look just like a Mustang, but I can see kind of where people get that... Um, you know, that comparison from, but I think it's a good looking car, but I think a lot of people don't like it so much. I think it's front end has a lot to do with that. Um, big kidney grills and the kind of weird headlights. Um, but so, but I don't think that's the biggest problem. It's biggest problem is definitely pricing. So, you know, to get into a decent eight series, you're gonna have to spend, you know, six figures. You're, you're in a hundred thousand dollars for a decent eight series. And, you know, that's a problem because there are a lot of really astonishing cars you can get for $100,000 that are better than the 8 Series. Objectively speaking, they're better cars than the 8 Series. Um, someone had a bit of an argument with me in the comments section because one of the cars I mentioned that is better than the 8 Series is the Porsche 911. And it flat out is. It's the better car. And in every possible way. You know, it's better to drive. It's faster, you know, per per money. You know, like, I mean, it's faster than a base Carrera, but it costs a lot more. So, like, if you're going to go, you know, you know, dollar for dollar wise, you know, cost, you know, comparison wise, you know, the 911 is the quicker car and it's quicker with less power. You know, it's quicker with a smaller engine and less power. So it's more fuel efficient. Um, you know, it looks better. In my personal opinion, it looks better. And I think the 8 Series is a good looking car, but the 911 is just you know, a classic, gorgeous car. And the interior is better. Um, it's, it's just more interesting. Uh, 8 Series is a fantastic interior build quality wise, but it's a little bit boring for a six figure car. Um, but the, so the 911 has a more interesting looking interior, uh, and it's just it's just a the much 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 better car to drive. It's sharper. It's more dynamic. It just it's just better in every way to drive. It's so much more of a driver's car, and it makes you feel more special for having it, um, you know, for owning it. And another thing, it's the go-to. It's the default choice for anyone who wants a sports car at a hundred grand. Um, you know, if you want a sports car at a hundred thousand dollars, you just go get a 911. It's just the answer. You can't go wrong. And not everyone who buys a $100,000 sports car can afford to just kind of try stuff out because that's a lot of money. Even for people who can afford that, that's a lot of money. Only millionaires can be like, yeah, I'm just going to try out an 8 Series, see how I like that. You know, if you're spending that much money on a car, you need to, to make your choice very specifically. It's a very deliberate you know, process of choosing which car. You have to think carefully about it. it. It's a big financial decision. So people aren't going to just buy you know, a six-figure car based on, let me give this a shot, this newcomer, this different thing. When they want to spend that much money, they go to what they know, and what they know is the 911, and you can't go wrong. You literally can't go wrong buying a 911 because everyone is brilliant. 
And if you wanted to be a little bit of an extrovert, you wanted to go a little bit, you know, on the wild side and get something different, there is another car in the same price bracket that is better looking than both of them. That's a little more insane. It's worse to drive than the, the 911, but it's probably about the same, you know, to drive as a, an 8 Series. And that's the Mercedes AMG GT. That is a stunning car. It is a gorgeous car. And it is just as fast as an 8 Series. It makes a better noise than the 8 Series. Only by a little bit. The 8 Series makes a good noise with the V8. Um, but the AMG GT only comes with the V8. And it's the more interesting looking car. It has the more interesting interior. If you're going to try to do something a little bit more special, that car feels, looks, sounds, is more special than an 8 Series. So the 8 Series has a bit of a problem because all of its competitors seem like better value at the money. And I'm not trying to dog the 8 Series. I know it sounds like I am. Um, and I kind of am, I guess. But it is a good car. I do like it. I like every version of it. It's just too much money. And I haven't even gotten into the BMW M8 yet. So the M8 is the full-blown crazy M car. Now you might be thinking, like, that's the one that's special. That's the one that people should buy. And it is more special. But I've driven the M8, and it's not that much more special. It actually is a little too unspecial. It's a little too kind of sedate. Yes, it's ridiculously mind-bendingly fast. But it still feels like a big GT car. It doesn't feel like a proper sports car. And it's 140 grand-ish here in the U.S. You know, after delivery and tax and all that stuff, it's north of 140 grand. For that much money, you're sniffing an Aston Martin Vantage. And while the Vantage is slower, it is more special in every single possible way. It comes from a much more prestigious brand. It is much better looking. It's a stunning, stunning car. Its interior is kind of weird and maybe not as good as the 8 Series. But it handles better, it's more fun, it makes a better noise, it's more exciting, it looks cooler, it's an Aston Martin. You know, it's just, it'll probably break your heart in reliability, but who cares? It's just such a cool car. And at that point, if you're spending 150-ish grand, you know, after all said and done, you're going to spend $150,000 in all options and all that. What do you want to have? The big GT car or the really special sports car? So I think that's where the 8 Series really falls down as its price. And it's a shame because it's a good car. It's a good car. BMW just overpriced it. They tried to market it with the big boys, and it's just not good enough for that. They should have kind of kept it 6 Series-ish. I have no problem with the name, keeping it an 8 Series. A lot of people are saying, like, oh, they should have kept the 6 Series. I actually like the fact that they brought the 8 Series back. And I like the fact that it is the top-tier BMW. That it is, like, the, the, the most expensive car. But... The execution doesn't match the price. If they wanted to keep it as it is, like the way it drives now, they should have lowered the price point. But if they wanted, to, I think if they wanted to compete at that price point, they should have made it a little bit different. It should have been more like the original 8 Series where it's more of a GT car. And it is more of a GT car. I think BMW's marketing strategy is really the problem there, actually. Because they're sort of marketed as this real driver's car, and it isn't. You know, it's a good driving car. It's, it, you know, it's it's really capable and it's pretty fun to drive, but it's it's absolutely a GT car. So I think they should have kind of leaned into the GT-ness of it more, made it a little bit less sporty, a little bit more of a GT for that price point, and then made the interior really special. You know, made it really special looking and really interesting. And then at that price point, it would have been fine. If they wanted to keep it as it is now, I think they're going to have to drop the price point. I don't think that's going to happen, but they should have... Uh, and I think the 8 Series would have sold a lot more if it was more like $60,000, $70,000 rather than ninety dollars to $100,000. You know, that's the problem. 
Um, if it was like, even if it was like, you know, 70, between 70 and 80 for a decent one, you know, I think that for, you know, maybe a fully specced uh, 840i or like entry level M850i, you know, like 80 grand, I think maybe people would have stomached it more. But, you know, you're getting into to crazy territory where there's some really, really great cars that is it's just too hard to compete. If you're not excellent, if you're not an absolutely outstanding car to drive, you're not going to survive in that segment. Jaguar F-Pace, that's another one. Jack F-Pace, objectively, not probably not as good of a driver's car as the 8 Series, but it's absolutely more desirable than an 8 Series. You know, it just looks incredible. It sounds incredible. It's ridiculously fast with a big V8. You know, it's a, it's a really, really cool car, and it still drives really well. It's still a great car to drive. I'm not saying it's much worse than the 8 Series. So because the 8 Series only has like a tiny driver's advantage over the F-Type, if that at all, why would you buy the 8 Series over the F-Type when it looks worse and it's just not as desirable? So that's its problem. It's not as desirable as its price suggested it, suggests it is, and that's why it's just sitting on dealer lots. No one's buying 8 Series. That's a it's going to be a problem, I think. I think when the M8 comes out, BMW is going to be, you know, in for a bit of a shock because I don't think anyone's going to buy it. And uh, BMW kind of hyped it up after all these years, and it's going to be a bit of a dud, I think. And that's unfortunate. That really is unfortunate because I think they're good cars. They're just too expensive. Just too expensive. That's that's it. That's the biggest problem there. Okay, so now a bit of a snap back to reality, unfortunately. Sorry, next week we'll we'll try to lean away from the quarantine stuff a little bit more. But everyone's sort of stuck in their house now. And I, I was driving around because I was getting like some you know food supplies and stuff, which, by the way, the amount of people, the companies are doing curbside pickup for food supplies. Oh, what a lifesaver that is. That's just amazing. You know, especially like Target's killing it. Target's killing it with curbside pickup. Fantastic. So just <laughs> a little advice right now. But anyway, so as, drive, as I'm driving around and kind of like walking my dog and stuff, I see a lot of people like washing their cars and working on their cars and you know taking care of their cars because like what the hell else are they going to do? But it's a good time now because you have time. You're not driving it every single day to work and back and you know moving it around and you're like, oh, why am I going to wash it? It's going to get filthy again tomorrow. You know, there's so much time now to take care of your car. And also, if you're not going to work, if you're not uh, you know emergency personnel or you know uh, you know someone you know working at an important job where you still need to work. You know, most people are trying to work from home now. If you are or unfortunately aren't working anymore, um, you have some time to work on your car. And so here's just some tips. These are mild tips, nothing crazy. But one, fix any problems that are with your car. Now is the best time to do it. You have the time. Um, you know, so many people are, you know, you can order tools online, order parts online. All that stuff is still coming. So you can still get your parts and you can fix your car. And the nice thing about that is you can take your time with it. Um, you know, I know me personally, I'm not, I like to, to wrench as much as I can to DIY stuff as much as I can. Cause I don't like to pay mechanics $150 an hour or hundred dollars an hour, whatever that is, you know, so they can pretend that they're working on something and, you know, actually be having a coffee break and charge me a hundred bucks for that hour. But, um, I'm not the best mechanic in the world. It takes me a long time to do things. So I understand. And I know that I'm not alone in that. So now that you have this much time, you can take your time. You have time to kill. You can say, okay, I'm going to start this on Friday afternoon and, you know, work a little bit on Friday afternoon. If I don't get it done, I can go into Saturday, you know, and if I can't get it done, I can go into Sunday or whatever. It doesn't really matter anymore, right? Because no one's freaking going to work. So it doesn't matter anymore. So you have the time to kill. So now is the perfect time to fix any of the little flaws 
that you know that you you've been meaning to get done and you just haven't gotten done yet. Um, another thing now is the time to learn how to fix cars. You know, so you can kind of say I don't want to take my car into because a lot of mechanics are still open, um, but you don't really want to go to see people, right? You don't want some slob in your car getting their weird germs everywhere. Um, and not that I'm calling all mechanics slobs, but you know what I mean. I'm just being <laughs> kind of general. Um, you know, you don't want someone in their in your car putting their germs everywhere. You don't have to cleaning it well. It's just ugh, right now. I don't know if I want someone in my car. So now's a good time to learn about fixing your car if you don't already know. There are it doesn't matter what you drive, especially BMWs. There is a huge, huge online community that will teach you how to fix anything. There are a million really detailed, really well written DIYs on the on forums. Um, there's so much to learn, and that's how I've learned about everything. Every every single job I've done um, on my car, I learned by going on forums, asking questions, finding people who have done it before, reading their DIYs, getting the pictures they posted, and just kind of going from there. And I've learned a lot over the years. You know, I've learned a whole lot. You know, I just did, recently did a timing belt, water pump, all that stuff. I've never done it before, but I did it just recently, uh, all from DIYs, and. All that stuff is really, really helpful, and it can teach you how to work on your car, and now is the perfect time. Um, in this way, in the, in, for, in the future, when things go back to normal, you don't have to go to a mechanic if something gets broken. You know, you can fix it uh, on your own, save yourself a lot of money, you know, do it yourself over the weekend. And also, just wash your car. Now's the perfect time to wash your car. You're not driving it a lot, you know, uh, hopefully. You know, hopefully you're not, you're not driving it too much. Hopefully everyone's staying inside and staying safe. And staying healthy. So if you're not driving your car too much, um, you know, clean it. Get it nice and clean. You don't have to worry about it getting dirty again tomorrow because you're going to drive through a puddle and going to splash mud all over your car. Car that's probably not going to happen. So you're going to have a nice clean car every time you get in. Um, you know, and it's just nice. It's just nice to be able to clean your car. And you have the time. Now you have the time. You have the time to really take your time and really detail it. Give it a good, you know, give it a good wash. Give it a good wax. Give it a good polish. Clean up your wheels. Get the brake dust off your wheels. You know, now is a good time for that sort of thing. So just average car maintenance is, it's, it's the right time for that. So, uh, you know, outside of that, though, I hope everyone is staying home, staying safe, staying healthy. It's really important. I also want to give, this is probably meaningless coming from me, but I want to give a shout out to all like nurses and doctors and people who are working, even people like garbage people, garbage men, you know, recycling people, people who are doing all that stuff, the, the dirty jobs they don't want to do. Um, you know, but especially nurses, because they don't get paid like doctors, and they have to, they're on the front lines of this thing. They're the soldiers in World War II. You know, they're the they're on the front lines. You know, and without the proper equipment, you know, getting just right in right in the heart of this. You know, taking care of sick people. Um, you know, and possibly bringing it home. And it's just, yeah, I really feel for them. And I so I just want to give a shout out to if there's any nurses or doctors or anyone listening. Um, you know, you guys are serious heroes right now. So a real shout out to you guys and any of anyone else who's like uh, essential personnel, you know, garbage people, recycling people, um, people like that. People have to do jobs, you know, to, to maintain uh, a level of normality um, through all this craziness. So, you know, shout out to those people. Everyone's working so hard and uh, we really appreciate it all, especially coming from someone who's, a, you know, some, some idiot who's sitting at home. Uh, you know, talking to a microphone on his computer desk. So those people are the real heroes here, and you know, we just applaud all of that. So we hope everyone is staying safe and healthy, and uh, you know, thank you for listening, and stay tuned next week.